Hi, my name is David Siegler and welcome to my podcast. Hi, property sourcing profiteers out there in property sourcing land. If you are sourcing property for profit, this is the podcast for you. And I'm super, super excited. I know you can't see me, but this is how I look when I'm super, super excited. Um, because I've got with me a very smart, very smart young man who I've had the pleasure and the privilege to work with over the last, oh, how long is it, Adam? Year plus? 18 months? 18 months. 18 months. Wow. Um, And um, as I say, he is smart. He's very knowledgeable. He is my partner in crime to some extent in in a deal packaging business that I'm honoured to be working with, Progressive Let Sourcing, based in Peterborough. Uh, and I want to introduce you to the wonderful Adam Seal. Yay! Thank you for the introduction, David. Good Thank morning, you Adam. For having me on. <laughs> How great to have you with us. Cool. Uh, so uh, this is being recorded in the middle of all the upheaval that's going on because of COVID nineteen. And um, where should we start, Adam? Let's. Um, Let's tell the people a little bit about you, um, maybe your view about what's going on at the moment. Uh, we'll talk yeah, about sure. our, our respective roles in our deal packaging business, i.e. you do all the work, I turn up from time to time, have a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and um, let's, let's, just, let's just shoot the breeze about deal packaging, investors, finding deals, um, let's talk about how it works in good, the good times as well. I think it's important that, you know, somebody might be listening to this a year from now and we like to keep it evergreen, content evergreen yeah. and, and fresh, a bit like myself. Okay. Um, <laughs> so take it away, Adam. What do, right. How did you get into deal packaging? What, what, what's your background? Uh, deal packaging, we almost were doing it before we knew we were, we were doing it. If, uh, if that makes sense. I was working for, still work with uh, Progressive Let's in Peterborough. Um, and we manage, I think we're up to about 800, 700, 800 units uh, in terms of rental properties. And one of the ways that we were growing that portfolio was um, we had landlords that, that had cash and, and didn't have time to, to go and find the properties themselves. So it kind of ended up that, that we were going out and finding them. Um, some of those properties needed work as well, so we were going and doing the refurbs and, and kind of putting putting together deal packaging without necessarily doing it purposely um, in the outset, and it just kind of rolled and spiraled from there into to something that um, now kind of stands on its own. So. Cool. So you've got you work with for people who don't know, I know, I know, and you know, but you you actually. Um, work with Progressive Let's. I mean, that's where you were working originally. You were part of that team, that letting team. And, um, yeah, I was there for a few years. Yeah. yeah. So um, you, you, you let seven, eight, maybe nearly 900 uh, units now. Uh, there's some HMO rooms and single lets and stuff in there. Uh, that's yeah. quite a big letting agency, right? So uh, do you find the fact that you've got that as an add-on for your investors, does that give them comfort if they're sort of buying a deal sourced by you and you can provide virtually hands-free, as hands-free as it can be, service going forward? Is that a big plus for you? 
I think it's a massive plus, um, with, especially not not just for for the investors, but for for me as a deal packager. Uh, you know, and it, to to be able to to have kind of an up and running machine that um, will will manage the properties as, as well as they can, uh, like you say, hesitate to say hands free. Um, but to, to have that, that once the properties are, are sourced and, and developed and ready to go, and um, they're straight over the guys to, to to look after there, and you know. It's, it's good to have that facility available. Um, it's also good for, uh, for for the investors as well to to know that everything's in one place. And you know, if, if anything doesn't go quite right or or doesn't go as planned, then um, they know I'm going to be sat in the same chair at the you know in the back of the same office, and, and I know where I am. So it's a bit of peace of mind for for them as well. Yeah, definitely. I I think it's a massive plus to be able to say because uh, I speak to investors. I'm more on the investor side. Uh, than the sourcing side, because I'm not actually not on the sourcing side at all. <laughs> we'll, we'll come to that. Okay. Um, so my role is investor-driven. Uh, the fact that we've got bricks and mortar office, that we've got, what, 15 people in the office in normal times, roughly? Just shy uh, of that normally, yeah. 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 Uh, all, all sorts of different roles and departments, and, yeah, it's a growing team. Yeah, and I've sat in that office and I've watched the team. So, uh, you know, I, I've watched... Uh, your colleague who, um, I'm trying to find the right word. Pursue is a bit wrong. It's, it's a bit too thoughtful. <laughs> right. Chases arrears, right? Chases arrears yeah. in that letting office. You know, the, the, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's very systemized. Um, I think I'm going to give a shout out to Kieran uh, as an HMO manager because you manage about 200-ish HMO rooms, uh, maybe more. <laughs> I think it was just shy of 260 last time I looked. So, yeah, yeah, not, not, not far off. Yeah, well, somebody keeps adding HMO rooms on, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's one of the best HMO rental professionals that I've seen in terms of management because all around the brilliant. country. He does a really good job. He mm. does. All around, one of my challenges in the around Manchester when I was working in Manchester was finding a letting agent who could honour the commitment that the investor made and, and you know, made that um, asset cash flow properly and efficiently and get the right tenants and people weren't trying to stab each other over bits of cheese and stuff like that, you know? Cause yeah, all sorts of happens, isn't it? But, uh, no, he, he's very good and he's, um, it, it's, as I say, it's, it's good for, for us to have that facility. I mean, they don't, they don't come about, uh, you know, you don't necessarily just go and buy one. You, you buy something, you take it back to, to the show and put it all back together again. So a, a lot of work goes into these. Um, and, and it's good to know that uh, once I hand them over to, to Kieran, you know, he's, uh, he, he's on it. And I don't really have to worry about anything from, from then on. It's, um, usually Absolutely. No news is good news. Yeah. And when I do my little uh, investor tours you know two or three or four wherever you can get me in at them uh, on a given day yeah. um you know it, i know that when i walk in it's not going to be a war zone <laughs> now it yeah. Wasn't, yeah. It, in my former life when i was working in manchester it wasn't always like that i have to say um you know but i know there's not gonna be rubbish everywhere and it's really really well run so so that's really really cool so we got the letting side of it um, so we are recording this in April 2020 when there's a lot of uncertainty, confusion. We're all at home, working from home. You are actually working from home, uh, as I yeah. am. Um, what you, have you got a few thoughts about the current situation? And then maybe we'll, we'll move on to talk about normal times. 
Yeah, so it's it's a very different landscape than, than I suppose it was what three three four weeks ago now. Yeah. Um. Uh, and within that, you know, it's, it's it's also changing very fast. I know that the first week was was uh, when I say the first week, I'm referring to to kind of lockdown and you know when everything started to change in in the business side of things. Um. I think there was some initial uh, initial panic from from a lot of people. Um had a lot of investors on the phone. We were kind of looking at deals that, that we were doing and, and kind of maybe looking at whether we need to reassess them. Um, the, there was kind of a, a natural uh, question with, with investors is, you know, am I still paying the right price for what I'm buying? But uh, reality is, you know, vendors haven't quite come around to the um, realisation that if the prices do drop, you know, it certainly wasn't uh, time for that a few weeks ago anyway. So there, there, there was a lot of that going on at first. Um, but, we're, you know, it's been, been a little bit more quiet than usual over the last uh, last couple of weeks, but things are starting to happen now. You can see, um, you know, there's, uh, there's definitely movement. Um, estate agents are being more active, more proactive in uh, getting in touch. I mean, j- just this morning I've had, well, this morning and, and, and yesterday evening, um, I've had three uh, properties to look at uh, come through, which, um, you know, if, if you compare that to the last couple of weeks, um, I, I haven't been getting three a day. So if things are moving and there's conversations being had about price now. So I think um, it's a sign that things are starting to, to roll the right way. That's interesting because um, agents, and it's, it's generic, it's not just Peterborough agents, it's agents anyway. Mm. When times are good, right, they get a bit... Um, is lazy the right word? You know, you have to ring them, don't you? Yeah, you have to work really, really hard, and there's always someone else willing to pay a higher price, and it's all, you know, it makes it it makes it more difficult for you. There's a lot of competition there, working with agents, and it becomes about your relationship with the agent and the fact that you can perform and perform quickly, rather than the price thing. Okay. Um, yeah. But, but now, are you, are you actually saying that agents are sort of ringing you initially out of the blue, but now more regularly, they're actually coming to you? So last week, last week I had a few agents get in touch with me, and it, they weren't necessarily productive conversations. I think it was more a case of, uh, you know, maybe they, they haven't necessarily got uh, the same workload on, so, so they're calling through and, and you know, these are properties you looked at you know, X amount of time ago, this is the type of figure you were talking about. It uh, wasn't agreed at the time. Would it work for you now? And so the, they haven't really been, um, they haven't been anything I've been particularly interested in because it's, it's more a case of just following up on stuff that we did that didn't work for us, you know, in the, in the market before COVID-19. So, but following on from that this week, there's been um, a bit of a deeper conversation, you know, diving into it a bit more and, looking at prices um i've had a vendor get in touch who is was potentially looking to go to auction and so we're going to have a look at that and see if there's anything we can do to to um, you know try and get something secured before we go into auction um i've had uh, some agents getting in touch they've got residential chains that are starting to to uh, stick a little bit so owner occupier chains and obviously they're you know, if, you, if you're an agent and you've got three, four properties all, all involved in one transaction at the moment, you, you're not going to want to lose that money. So um, the, the phone started to ring for, for that kind of stuff. I mean, it's early days to, to say whether or not we're going to get prices agreed. As I say, they only kind of came in 
over the last couple of days, but it's, it's stuff that hasn't been happening over, over the last couple of weeks. Um, so it's interesting. Interesting. So even, even in my own world, I got a call from a local agent in Brighton about my residential home. Um, mm. To give you perspective, the last time I spoke to this agent was in 2014, right? So I'm clearly a long way down the list of people yeah, he would have run, yeah. right? But he rang me. And, um, you know, I sort of was curious about the process, Adam, really. You know, how are we going to do viewings and stuff like that? And I did... He asked me to do a walk-around video of my house, and I'm probably better prepared to do that than some of his clients. So he didn't know what I do, right? But I did it. And then two hours later, he came back to me with a desktop valuation based on, yes, what he saw in the video, but also his local knowledge, um, comparables. You know, they handle a lot of sales in this area of Brighton. So, they, you know, they've got a pretty good idea what's going on. Um, Yeah. He didn't really show a 20%. Oh, did he? You know, I'm saying, right, so he gave me a number. It's quite a big number. Um, did he take 20% off that? Maybe at Christmas it might have been 20% more. It might have been mm. uh, certainly 10% more. So uh, we left it there. But the, the thing is, with agents, they've got businesses that they have to support. They have to get some income coming in, don't they? That's it. I mean, you can you can start to see. I, I was having a look through Right Move as, as I do most days, and I was searching by by reduced properties, and you're not seeing a lot of reduced properties yet. And in terms of anything that's, that the price has actually dropped on over the last uh, few weeks, but you, you start to notice. Obviously, you've probably seen the online viewing tab they've got now. So where it would normally say um, sale agreed, they've got a little online viewing showing they're doing those. So that change has come about already. Um, but also a lot of the prices now are, you know, offers in the region of or, or marked as a guide price. So we're, I think it's, it's kind of a subtle, um, subtle change at the moment, but I think they know it's, it's moving towards, um, you know, negotiation phase, if you like. Cool. Okay. So that's what's going on now. We don't know where that's going to end. Um, I think predictions can rebound and mm. smack you in the face nine months from now. So let's see where it goes. Yeah. You know, I'll be talking about it on the podcast as we move forward. Um, Adam, let's talk about happier times. Let's talk about running a deal packaging business when things are normal, <laughs> if they're ever normal. normal. Yeah. What, is, what is normal? Um, so basically, it's very simple, isn't it? You need investors and you need properties yeah. to sell to them that meet their criteria. So where do you start so you know I, I know we work, work together and we talk a lot but you know tell us something about your mindset where do you start is it the deal or is it the investor where where do you start for me it, it's kind of a chicken and the egg question i know everyone says this you, you need the, the two to um you know to, to put a deal and package a deal together and make it work but i think the, the best thing you can do is, is start going out looking for, for property. Now, you don't necessarily have to be in a position to be able to, to buy that property, but if you can go and, and find something that you know the numbers are working, and, and, and it, it, especially if you're starting out, it gives you a time to, to get yourself set up, put your systems in place. Um, start working out who you're going to need. You know, you're going to need some trades. You're going to need a builder, a solicitor, all that, all that type of stuff. Um, and, and when you get something, the numbers are good enough. And you know, as long as you're you're talking about it and you're you're kind of mixing 
uh, in the right circles, you're, you're going to, to come across an investor. And you, once you get one or two done, it's, um, it tends to get a lot easier from there. You know, it's, um, but I, I think it's, it's, the, the main thing really is getting out to, to, uh, to see the properties because you need to be able to show your potential investor whoever it may be, what type of thing it is you're, you're looking to go and find them and, and make sure that's what they're looking for. Yes, and I think um, pedigree, you know, uh, history, we, 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 you and I have the advantage mm. of uh, a very significant history behind us, right, of, you know, Robert Mark went before us, they, they did a lot of, they didn't kill, call it deal packaging, I think they called it portfolio building because they're much better they mar- yeah. marketers than I <laughs> Sounds more posh. Uh, but, you know, but they did hundreds of deals, hundreds of deals. So, mm. you know, we've got that heritage, if you like, behind us. And all that goes to credibility, right? Um, so I'm based on the investor side solely and i'm you know, you you do all the work and i'm gonna I'll come back and drill down as to exactly you know what you do um you know just high level so that people get an idea of what's involved but basically i bump into meet people recruit people um who have got cash because we tend to work with cash investors we do mortgage stuff but we tend to work with cash investors and they're worried about their cash especially today i mean my wife recently got a letter from one of the banks. She's got some money in the um, interest-bearing account, cutting it from, let me get this right, 0.1, which is not good to start with, to 0.01. Um, you know, like, nothing. Might as well have it under the mattress. Well, nothing to nothing. <laughs> um, I don't know what she's got under the mattress, Adam. It's a bit blumpy bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> It's this big hill down the middle. She did. Uh, <laughs> we had a we had a new burglar alarm system put in recently, and uh, we got panic button by the bed. And it, okay. Yeah. Every time I go near her, she presses it. I don't know what that's about. Anyway, we're <laughs> going back to deal packaging. So um, I meet people who have got money and they get it. They are they're worried. They're concerned about having cash, right? In the sense that you're much more concerned if you haven't got any cash. But if you've got cash, you're worried because it's a different sort of worry. So is inflation eating away at your capital? Um, you're not getting any interest. Inflation is what I don't know, official figures. I can't even remember two, three percent. Um, it was always more than that in my world. I noticed. Um, and of course, there is the underlying concern of if you've got more than eighty-five grand in a bank account, how secure is your money? You know, because we saw back in 2013, I believe, uh, in Cyprus, the government went in and sequestered all the funds over and above the equivalent of 85 grand, whatever it was at that time. Uh, they just took the money. Right? So people don't want their money taken. They worked hard for it. So bricks and mortar with your backup uh, 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 Progressive, uh, your backup and support, Adam, that lettings team sitting in front of you in that office. Um, it's not a difficult sale for me. And I, it, you know, I spend maybe half a day on patch with the investor, potential investor at this point, showing them yeah. what we do, right? And then introduce them to you. And then you sort of pick up the reins, don't you? So, so you know, how does it move forward from there? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, as you said, you, you kind of get all that, that wrapped up and then it leaves me, I suppose, with... Um, 
an investor who has cash and we kind of I suppose between the, the three of us you know you come to, to the meeting as well um, and we kind of discuss what it is that they're looking for in particular um, and, and the best way we can go about making that happen for them um, and you know whether that be that people have you know different things that they want to do we've got a lot of people that like buy to lets um, which I personally like buy to lets a lot um, and we've got a lot of people that like the, the HMO stuff as well so we kind of narrow down and, and pinpoint on that um, kind of work out what what numbers we're what numbers they're hoping for whether or not they're realistic because sometimes they're Sometimes they're not. <laughs> what, what, sort of, what sort of percentage um, single lets to HMOs? Because that's that is you know, probably ninety percent of the business, right? I mean, we have we do come across commercial units and yeah. commercial to resi stuff, right? Um, but that's you. You've got specific investors earmarked for those almost from day one. If something lands on your desk, I know that. So. <laughs> Single it to HMOs, um, what's the percentage? 50, 50, 60, 40, 37, what do you reckon? Last time I looked was, it was beginning of March um, and I was looking through a lot of this and I think it was about, it was roughly around 65% single lets with um, the, the bulk of the remainder being HMO. Obviously there's uh, the, the commercial stuff as well, but the, the bulk of the other half, if you like, was was HMA. Um, the I think in in terms of demand and, and appetite, it's probably a little bit closer than that. We've probably got um, as many people wanting the, the HMA properties as we do the the, the buy to lets. But the reality of actually the reality of me finding a, a single let, you know, putting that together and, and you know getting that through the legals and, and ready to rent out is much it's a much quicker process than it is to, to buy a property that we're going to convert to hma so there's a there's a bit of a lag in in the uh, supply and demand i suppose if you like yeah and i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna push you down that road because um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i know um <clears throat> you get a lot of headaches like literally <laughs> doing hmos right because it is a more advanced strategy so uh, if you're a deal packager listening to this, you cut your teeth, learn your trade on single lets. I did 250 deals in and around Manchester before I started working with Adam. And our only, I say only, uh, 32 of those were sort of back to brick HMO. So the vast amount of them were single lets, but I was selling on yield, right? Um, Peter was interesting about the balance between yield and capital growth, Adam. What do you? It's it's not. It's an interesting place. I don't want to lead you. What do you? What do you think about the balance on a single let between yield and capital growth? I think it's a nice middle ground. Um, I think if you, when when we look at it over a fairly substantial period of time. I mean, you, you touched on earlier. Mark and Rob were were doing this kind of before I was and albeit called the uh, portfolio builder um, at the time. I mean, if you look at the, the houses that, that they were buying uh, for, for themselves and for, for clients you know, back in 07, 08, I, I would imagine it, it would have been, those houses would, you probably would have picked those up for, for about 80,000 
uh, back then. You know, not, not necessarily on the open market, but that's what, what they were paying for them, sometimes less. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're now, if you were to go on and, and, and look at one for, you know, an owner, owner-occupier, they'd be about 140, 150. Um, and that's in a relatively short space of time. Uh, when you know sort of 13 years um, and in terms of the yield I mean you can still comfortably get seven percent eight percent even on, on, on some of these properties so I think it's it's a nice middle ground between going south and you know capital uh, capital growth there will will make you wealthy but um, not necessarily have the cash flow um, and and you know if you go north you you'll get the cash flow perhaps that you know your high yields but um, tends to be of a lower amount in, in the bank, you know, at the end of every month and yeah. uh, you, you don't get the same capital. So I, I think that this area is is a nice middle ground for, for that. And um, I think especially, you know, you, sh- you should always be investing in the long term. And I know you can't bank on the, the long term prices, but I think it does bode you well for, for the future. Well, I, I think it's a great offer because don't forget, I've worked, uh, first of all, I live in Brighton. So, uh, yes, we get um, capital growth, but making it cash flow until the um, capital growth kicks in, yeah, it's hard, right? And then, of course, I package deals in around Manchester. And the truth tell, I never spoke about capital growth. It wasn't on the table. I didn't consider it. It was all about cash flow. But what was happening, shall we say, up to pre-March 2020, and uh, you also know that I work with you know, wearing my other hat, I work with deal packages all around the UK. Um, yeah. So talking about Manchester, because I know that patch, right? A single let, just a single let in a decent area. So we're not talking the Bronx, we're talking about, you know, good family, solid stuff, okay? You know, the, the yields on that were getting really challenged. I mean, we were down at seven, you know, seven and a half percent, six and a half, depending on how good the area was getting, right? Mm. Um, and then when I came to Peterborough, you were showing me stuff. I mean, there were some that you've shown me, and, and you do get these occasionally, a little bit out, you know, to the outskirts of Peterborough. And, and people, don't know, people don't know Peterborough, Adam. I did not know there's 200,000 people live in Peterborough. I didn't know that when I first started no, with you. No. I, I had a completely different... So it's a big place, right? 47 minutes from King's Cross. Um on the outskirts of the town, you've been showing me stuff at 8, 8, 8. 6, nearly 9% gross yield. Yeah, you can, you can get some really good numbers. Um, and, and a lot of it is about knowing, knowing the, the area. You know, you know what houses or what properties you are likely to be able to get those numbers at and kind of, you know, reverse engineer it back to, to get your price as you do. And um, I think, the other side to that as well is once you start to know your area, you kind of get a feel as to to what is a solid bet when when you're investing. You know, if if you buy four or five houses in 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 one estate or you know in one particular part of town, all built the same, all at the same time, and then they've not caused you any problems. You know, that you you can kind of hedge your bets. They're going to be uh, they're going to be good moving forward. So it's, um, it's, it's the numbers and, and it's knowing what the properties are and how they're going to actually perform, you know, off paper, if you like. So not, not just looking at the numbers on the on the sheet at the end of the day, but um, what money is going to end up in the bank. Yeah, and, and Peterborough, I think, is a fantastic offer because not only have we got those sort of yields, 
you know, higher in some cases than the north of England. But also we've got this capital growth proven. Um, you know, all those pictures are on the walls in the training suite at Peterborough. Six, seven hundred houses, you know, that have, have doubled in value over 10 to 12 years, even with a property crash. So, you know, I'm, I'm really buzzed about it. But So that's cool. We love single lets. Um, I want to lead you into your HMO things because, you know, I, you are a machine producing these things because with this technical knowledge that you have, which is extraordinary, um, working with the HMO team at the council, working with building control, working with builders, working with uh, suppliers of materials, do, do, you know, and bringing the whole thing together. I'm not surprised mm. you get a headache. Right. <laughs> yeah, who has uh, headache? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go on. Yeah, right. So. Uh, we haven't got time to deep, deep dive into that. And, and maybe I'll ask, I'll ask you if you, you'd be kind enough to do it and come back and do another one at some point, mm. just sort of taking a few specific aspects of this. But yeah. So you've got an investor that wants to buy an HMO, right? Um, where do you start, Adam? What do you do? What's the process? Well, I, I suppose the first thing is looking at the, the, the cash available and the, and the cash they want at the end of it, because within, within HMOs, um, I think, you know, there's, there's also different types of HMOs you can you can put together. Um, the, the majority of what we're doing tends to be towards the higher end with, um, you know, some, some working. We, we only work with, with working tenants at the moment. Um, so it, it will be your city centre stuff. But everything is, you know, 99% of the, the stuff we do, we end up putting on suites and, um, and, and working it that way. So it's finding out exactly what the client wants in terms of cash, what they've got as well, um, and, and what type of tenants they're looking for. Um, and the, the, I suppose the, the good thing about working with progressive lets is that there's so much data there for me to refer back to, as to, to you know, um, I can have a look and see across our portfolio, which, um, you know, 260 rooms is a, is a decent size for, for me to, to kind of gather some some good data from we can see what the void percentages are over certain sites we can see what type of rents we're getting now as opposed to, to you know what we were getting six months ago a year ago etc um so it's good that we can monitor that and then we kind of place that with what the client's looking for um but it's a case of then finding that property um i will do a rough estimate of what i think the cost is going to be and then walk the builder through that you know if we think the um the, the property is going to be a, a suitable purchase for one of the investors um so interesting there. are you telling the builder what the quote should be then is that based on your previous experience well yeah it's, it, I, I wouldn't recommend necessarily doing that i suppose the the, the beauty of kind of what we're doing with it now is because we've been doing it for for a while um we've been tweaking this system for, for years now and if i know that i've got two or three builders that i can call on to to come and put one of these together for me yeah and um, and i know what they charge for x y and z so i if i know that a kitchen's going to cost me x a bathroom's going to cost me uh, cost me y i'm going to need six of them 
um, plastering is X pound a meter and so on. I can uh, I can get a good gauge of uh, what the overall spend should be. Yeah, this um, is what, this is where I was trying trying to take you because you know right, okay. right? Yeah. And, it's, and once I get you rolling, I'll get you rolling. So um, drawings. <laughs> I, mean, I want I want I want to. You haven't. I don't believe you've got a formal operations manual but you do have it in your head, right? Um, so I want to just hit some headers in your uh, operations manual. So drawings, right? What do you do about drawings, Adam? I know the answer, but tell the people. Go on. Um, drawings uh, depend, well, as long as it's not a, you know, a, a too big a project or a commercial project. If, if we're doing a, a six-bed uh, HMO with en-suites, I'll, I'll do the drawings myself and I'll put them together. Uh, just by going around taking the measurements and then you know put, putting together the the plan that we want. Um, Go on, you're, uh, so you're doing the drawings yourself. So um, you know, yeah. When I was doing it, we, that ended badly <laughs> when we did the drawings, <laughs> um, and we finished up uh, working with architects who charge between twelve to fifteen hundred quid for a set of drawings with the building control drawings as well. Okay. Um, your experience is such that you're doing the drawings, right? Yeah, it, it, unless the project is too big and I feel it needs an architect. Um, yeah. But, you, you know, something like that, we'll, I'll do the drawings on. And it, it, I suppose, you know, if it does sound daunting, it's really not. You, you, you go and you do your measurements and you draw what you would like to happen. And you, you've got your builder there with you. Um, you know, when you go around to, to, for the builder to cross this up, he's going to tell you if you've done anything ridiculous. Um, you know, he's going to point out if there's any problems with the plan and, and you can kind of tweak it from there. And it's, it's, it's good to have those to refer to. So I can show the builder what, what we want at the end of it. And obviously what we're designing is what is going to, what is going to rent well and what is going to, Yes. Bring us the most rental income. And the, the builder, um, they they don't think like that. And, you know, that's, that's because they're, they're in a different industry. They're, they're, they don't deal with rentals. But they think, what's the easiest way for me to, to build something? Um, so it's, sometimes you have to kind of merge the two and, and end up with a finished product. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll normally then supply the builder with the, the, the finished drawings, um, uh, along with... Um, I call it an outline of specification, but it's just a fancy term for a, a spec sheet. So just it then it, it allows me to say to the builder, this, these are the, this is the kitchen I want. These are the shower trays, the you know the the shower screens, the taps, and and you know right down to the door handles. Just say this is what I want you to fit for me, um, and this is you know the, the the floor plan of what I want you to to put in place. Um, so they've, they've, they've got a drawing of what they need to provide and they've got a list of the materials that they need to use. So that spec sheet, it, that would be a bit daunting for somebody doing it for the first time. And presumably, you know, you had a first time as well. Um, yeah. Hard work, but, but now it's sort of cookie cutter and copy and paste. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I never used to do that um, because, you know, but, but it's one of those things, I mean, when you kind of get to the end of a, a development and then you finish something, you always try and, and see where you can tweak stuff to, to make it better. And, and by, by putting that together for me, that was, that was a way that I thought we'd be able to um, try and cut down on any overspend because, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it, it can quite often be the case if, if, if you go and quote for, you know, if, if your builder goes and quotes for six bathrooms and, your client may have a very different image just to what that 
bathroom may look like than what the builder is actually pricing for so i just yep. try and give as much information as possible to you know if we need to change anything that's fine but it gives us the chance to do it at the start then then um you know and it avoids any situations you know where you get to get to the end and the client's maybe not going to get what they're they're, they're paying for so it's or you know what they think they're paying for so it's uh we haven't had that happen but it's it's good to to avoid that and it just helps me keep an eye on the costs as well and keeps them in check a bit more absolutely and one of your ninja secrets that i'm going to share with the world now adam because i i actually hadn't seen it in this format before i worked with you um <laughs> so you've got the house taken back to brick or certainly very old plaster everything's ripped out right and then yeah. in each individual bedroom you got this white sticky whiteboard stuff thing. <laughs> you put a sheet of that on the wall, and you actually yeah. draw the plan of the room in the room uh, with all the power, where the PowerPoint should be, where the rad's going to be, where the bed's going to be. So there's. God, tell us about that. What's the rationale behind that? And and I just think it's so smart. I love it. So the, the the reason for that, I suppose, all, all we do is we, we take the floor plan, we cut it up into to segments per room, um, and then I will highlight with a you know a, a key if you like to to show each trade where the things are going to go within that room. And if I'm marking up to say I want the sockets here, I might want a TV point here or, or whatever, and you know my my radiator is going to go on this wall underneath this window or, or elsewhere. The the more information I can give them, one the the easier it is for them, it, you know, they, they don't have to pick the phone up and ring me and ask what they're going to do. And, you know, it keeps things ticking over uh, much quicker. There's much less mistakes. But I suppose the, the, the other side of that is, and and, and the, the trades that we use are very good. You know, they're, they're not stupid by any means and they'll, okay. they'll get on with the work well. But occasionally they will do things wrong. They'll put things in the wrong place. And if I've put in every room exactly what I'm looking for and a radiator ends up in the wrong place, then they will put their hands up and say, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's my fault, I'll, I'll go back and, and change it. And it doesn't end up being an additional cost for, for the client because we haven't given them the right information and we, you know, we've then got to get something redone and someone's got to pay for that. So it's just about you know covering yourself and protecting your client's money as well. Yeah, I've seen that live in one of the houses. It's very rare, but uh, yes, I've seen the radiator moved um, and mm. <laughs> contractor put their hand up. Talk to me about, tell our friends about um, your relationship with building control and maybe the HMO team. How, how, how do you get on with them? Yeah, really well. We've, um, we, we switched to, to using a different building control company um, in probably about six months to, to a year ago, but they're, they're very good. Um, they're, I suppose the, the, the more you do, they obviously always come out and have a proper look at everything and you know, they're, they're always um, vigilant, if you like, and, and making sure we do things the right way. But it, it gets a little bit more, more relaxed and they know they know what we're going to do. It's a lot less communication involved the more and more you do uh, with these people because, uh, you know, you've got kind of five, six good projects in the bank. Um, you know, they, they know what it is you're going to put together before you even call them up half the time. And I think yes. the, the HMO department, um, we've, we've got a, a, I'd say we've got a pretty good relationship with them. I mean, what, what I, what I like to do is, um, at the, at the point we've got a property and it's it's um 
sometimes prior to rip out or sometimes after we've ripped it out, just when I can, can get them around, I'll get one of the officers around with me with my floor plans and I'll, I'll talk them through exactly what it is that, that we're going to do, point out the measurements of, of all the rooms and the communal space and what kind of amenities we're going to have and just make sure that I can, can run everything by them to a point where they can say to me something along the lines of, you know, as long as you do what you, you say you're going to do to, to the standards you say you're going to do it, then you shouldn't have any problems getting a getting a license. And it's, it gives me that, that peace of mind that um, we're, we're doing things correctly. They're happy with things. It also means if anything changes in terms of legislation, they're, they're going to be telling me about it when I want to know about it and, yeah. and not at the end. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's, it's good for them as well. I think they, they they like to come and come and have a look, and then come and have a look at the end. I mean, it's um, it's it's, it's good when you get the same person come back and they're, they're positive about the, you know what you're doing and and how the house is transformed. So that's um, yeah. And I I, I can relate to that from my time in Manchester towards the end of my time there. Uh, one of the HMO team actually said to me, uh, viewing one of our projects, yeah, that's fine, David. Yeah. He said, the thing is, I knew what I was going to see because, you know, I've seen several of yours now. And you are one of only three uh, HMO providers that I, you know, really trust. <laughs> it, I'm not and that's what you want, isn't it? Yeah. Those fun um, relationships. I, did, I didn't have the heart to tell him that I knew at that last uh, that, at that time that it was going to be my last project. And also, I, I knew who the other two were. And one of them was also going out of the business as well because um, uh, they didn't want to do it anymore. So, uh, you know, but that happens. So, um, okay, so we're, we're on our way. We've sourced the property. We've got our plans going. We've got the blessing of the council. Um, builders, how does the money roll, Adam? So... The investors paying for the refurb, obviously, do they mm. in a con are they in a contract direct with the builder, or are you in the middle? You, how, do you approve drawdowns, that sort of thing? Yes, yeah, so we have lots of paperwork. I'd rather have too much paperwork than not enough. Um, but there's there's paperwork between myself and the builder. There's paperwork between well, I say myself, you know, us and the builder. Yeah. Um, paperwork between us and the client, and paperwork between the client and the builder. So yeah. we, we kind of cover all aspects and there, there's a construction contract that outlines terms of payment and, you know, and, and, and phases of payment. And then obviously the, the contract that uh, we have with both parties is to do with the project management. So we, the, the, the monies would be transferred directly from the client to the builder. We don't want any control of the money. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we do want enough, of control if you like to, to to be able to say that when that money should be should be paid or, or is good to be paid or when that gonna, when that money is going to be needed as well because that i think a lot of um a lot of times you know when people go into this they worry sometimes about a client um you know a, a builder sorry not necessarily um providing the service once they've been paid i think you know an equal worry is a, a client maybe not paying on time as well you've got to make sure both things uh, happen when they're when they're supposed to happen but we, we tend we tend to it does change on job to job it's not not quite as black and white as as maybe it'd be um as i'd like it to be but i suppose life isn't always that easy but you it, it tends to work around the first fix and second fix stages uh, as to, to when we have payment release yeah. um, and, and we do it that way with with the final payment at the end obviously a percentage of that is 
is held back for any snagging issues. Um, and then, yeah, once the, the snagging is resolved and, and, and everyone's happy, <coughs> then, uh, then, you know, everyone gets, gets paid and move on to the next project. And you start marketing to rent at what point? Um, it's, it's a little uh, bit. We tend to, yeah, we do it a little bit early. We, we yeah. don't wait right until the end. Yeah. Um, I suppose the, you know, we, we, we've mentioned before about working with, uh, with, with progressive lectures. If I know I've got something that's going to be finished at the end of the month, then, then if I'm telling them about that at the start of the month, the, the guys in the office, um, you know, if we've got any notices that come in or, or people that are looking for rooms, then, then the guys can start speaking about that property and, and those rooms and, you know, you know, letting people know that these are going to be newly, newly finished and, and ready to go and, 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 you know, telling potential tenants about what the property offers. And so we, we, we tend to do that and we'll get some pictures and, and some marketing. Sometimes if I can, I'll get a room just a little bit early, but it, it all depends on whether or not that's best for the specific uh, project. But we, we get it done early with a view to try and to, to minimise the, the void in between completion and tenant occupation. Cool. And uh, then we get to the end, and of course we've had this conversation with the investor probably at the first meeting, but it all happens at the end. Um, can I get all my money out? So you've got a cash investor, <laughs> <laughs> cash investor uh, who's paid for everything, right, in cash, right? Mm. And then when it's up and running and being managed and occupied and licensed, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they want to draw the money out or as much as they can. Yeah. So, um, you know, give me an overview of um, the sort of, I know it's hard because you've got different types of projects. You've got projects that cost, 180 grand and you've got projects that cost 380 grand so i get it right it's hard um but you know as a as a return on their money you know they have to leave a certain amount left in i think that's a given they can't get all the money out uh, yeah you know how what sort of return on capital I think, yeah so as you say i mean the, the numbers are different on every project but i, I like to be be working around the, the 20 to 30 percent marker um yeah. You know, if, if you're spending less money, it's likely to be towards the lesser side of that. But but that that is a good marker for for us to be working in the the twenty to thirty percent. And depending on your spend, you might have to leave a little bit more money in. Uh, you know, if, you, if it's a bigger project. But the the caveat to that, as as with anything, is your, your net cash flow is going to be better, which is going to align those percentages. So. Um, that, that tends to be where we're at at, at the moment or uh, in the market as per three weeks ago anyway. Cool. So if you're, just so for anyone that's listening, just to spell it out to them, if you're going to get a 25% net return on your capital, let's say you leave um, 48 grand in, right? It's, it's going to take four years to, you know, to, to, mm. it's going to take four years to recoup the money left in not the capital for the whole thing the capital you know your loan with the bank your mortgage with the bank commercial mortgage uh, pulls out um a, a big chunk of that but if you're going to leave 50 grand in on a 25 percent return on capital it's going to take four years to get all of your money out which on a on a scheme like that is pretty cool based on a net that sort of uh money left back in you're probably going to net you know, a thousand to fourteen hundred net 
a month, depending on the number of bedrooms, right? I mean, this is very broad brush stuff. I'm, I'm freestyling here, Adam, but, you know, shoot me down if yeah. I'm way, way off. No, I think I think you you know you you pretty much so. I think the um, we will obviously you know we, we talk about all this with the investors before we even embark on on finding them a property. So it's all all kind of um, laid out early on. And I think one 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 way we we've started to to discuss it with people is to work off what what we're referring to as break even points and 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 showing them that if they're leaving X amount of money in and they're, they're you know netting X amount of money a month and it's going to mean they're going to, you know, have all their money out in however many months, years, whatever. And we can say, you know, this is when this asset is now paid for and everything yeah. post this date is, is then profit. Um, and, you know, it's, it, I don't think we're in a world anymore where you can get all your all your money out of uh, property deals or, you know, you may be answering one or two cases, but you can't build a portfolio like that. But I still think, you know what? What other investment vehicle can you uh, can you do that with? Um, oh, absolutely! And then, you know, let me close the loop that I opened early on. Uh, you know, there's Mrs. S getting zero point zero whatever, mm. right? And we're talking about twenty five percent net return on capital, right? Plus, you've got a bricks and mortar asset that's going to you know cash flow forever. So, um, you know, where my salesman's hat. There, right? Made the sales word, right? It's not a difficult sell, is it? For somebody no. who's got who's got the funds to move forward. So, um, and this has been brilliant. It's been absolutely super. I think our friends out there in property sourcing land have got a load, a load of uh, benefit out of this. Um, we've only touched the surface. Um, mm. Would you come back again at some point? You know, we let the dust settle, let them, let them absorb what you've shared so far um, and maybe share a little bit more. Is that be okay? Yeah, of course, Dave. It's been a pleasure. So uh, whenever, uh, yeah, whenever we can, let's set something else up. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Adam. I know, you know, you've been working for home uh, and you're sitting there in your leopard print onesie. I get it. Uh, <laughs> and it was a delight to have you with us. Uh, friends out there in property sourcing, profits land, uh, I hope you got a load of benefit for this. Keep going, guys. They're going to let us off the leash at some point. We're going to be able to go out and find fantastic deals for our investors. And if you've got a resource like this podcast that will keep you on the right track, on the straight and narrow, you're going to sell all of them. It's going to be great. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode. <laughs>